Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Rebecca Mazzino and with me is Tara Tuttle and together we are going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter. Hi and welcome to today's episode. Today I have entrepreneur, author and master of many things on the podcast, Elizabeth Benton. She is the author of Chasing Cupcakes, a book about how one broke fat girl transformed her life and how you can too. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you today. So I want to get straight into it because there's so much I want to ask you and deep dive into. Um, Your story is fascinating. So now, these days, you are a successful entrepreneur, an author, a podcaster, you're debt-free, you're physically healthy, and now coaching other people to live more fulfilled lives. But your life wasn't always quite that rosy, was it? (laughs) Not anywhere close to rosy, (laughs) no. You describe it in your book as a miserable In moments, you talk about it being a bit of a miserable life or a dark place. Can you paint a bit of a picture for us of what that looked like before you went through your own transformation? Yeah, you know, it started really young for me when I was, gosh, before I was even school aged, I was really overweight in a family where nobody else was overweight. And not only did my mom want me to be healthy and she feared that I wasn't because of my weight, she also felt like my weight was a reflection on her as a parent. And so because of that, she put a ton of pressure on me starting when I was just five or six years old to lose weight. So my food was severely restricted. I had to run Uh, while she followed me in the car in the dark in the morning before school. I weighed myself in front of her every day until I was a teenager. And not only did I have a very clear sense that I didn't fit in and I wasn't good enough, I also had this notion that my body was wrong and that I needed to fear putting on weight, even though I was a growing kid, and I had to have as the highest priority weight loss. But at the same time, food was so restricted that if I could ever get access to stuff that my mom wouldn't let me have, it was game on. So I had this very strong dichotomy in my life between on the one hand, I wanted to lose weight so that I could have my mom be proud of me. And on the other hand, I wanted to eat everything that wasn't nailed down because it was off limits. And that grew over time, both the desire to lose weight and the desire to go whole hog totally overboard when nobody was looking. And that caused a a lot of depression. It caused a huge lack of self-confidence a lot of hiding, a lot of shame. And then that took form into other areas of my life. It bled over into my romantic relationships and feeling like I was never good enough and like I had to hide what I was eating and hide my body. And it bled over into finances. And this notion that more was more and also deprivation was the way to go. So I 
ended up kind of bouncing back and forth between excessive spending and excessive restriction. And yeah, life was a mess. So how long did this go on for before you, you transformed? Like what, what age, you know, were you when you were still living like this? Oh gosh, mid late 20s. This continued through college, post college. I would say I was in my mid 20s when I really got serious about getting out of debt. And then that was a catalyst for a lot of other changes. But, um, you know, in my late 20s, I was over 350 pounds. Did you see your way of existing as dysfunctional at the time, or did it seem relatively normal because that was just the way you had always existed? You know, it's interesting. It's both. So I was deeply unhappy and I desperately wanted my life to be different because I was so unhappy and I really hated myself and almost everything about myself. But at the same time, it was the only way I knew to be. So I felt like I wasn't equipped to make big changes because it was the only way I knew, but I did desperately want to change. So in the book, you talk about this quote by Rumi, which was a bit of a catalyst or the spark that kind of started your entire transformation. Um, The quote is, why do you stay in prison when the door is so wide open? This quote helps you realize your ability to choose your own path and you talk about that. Can you tell us a bit more about this aha moment that you had? Yeah, at the time I was working for a dietary supplement company and I hated my job. I was good at it and I was getting promoted pretty regularly and I was taking on all sorts of new responsibilities, but I was very unhappy in the role and I put a lot of pressure on myself and I also accepted a lot of pressure from other people and I would wake up every single morning with this anxiety about checking my email. I didn't want to see, you know, what problems had unfolded overnight or who was angry at whom overnight and what mess I was going to walk into in the morning. I literally would have anxiety every single morning just over opening my email. And over the time that my boss would come into the office, I just had this this paralyzing anxiety and I dreaded every day because of it. And on the weekends, I would stay on top of email because the last thing I wanted was to come in on Monday to a train wreck and people having expected me to be on top of it over the weekend. And when I heard that Rumi quote, why do you stay in prison when the door is so wide open? I was like, yeah, you know, nobody's forcing me to work here. Nobody is making me show up every day. At the time, I wasn't applying for other jobs. I wasn't looking for other options. And yet, I was complaining about that job every single day. I was married at the time. And I would Mm -hmm. say the thing that I talked about the most was work stress and work problems and work drama. And our relationship was very much almost one of colleagues coming home to complain about work until we went to bed. And nobody was Mm. forcing me into that life. I was choosing it when I got in my car and I drove to work every single morning. And that's when I was like, why would I complain about this circumstance that I choose to stay in? And the more I thought about that, I was realizing I was doing the same thing with my weight, with my health, with my finances, 
this thing that I complained about, that I thought about constantly, I was in those situations because I created them and I continued to create them. That's really fascinating. And did did you feel some element of, I guess, um, being a a fraud or being a bit of an imposter working in a, like a supplements industry where it's all about, uh, health and nutrition and that kind of thing. And then, you know, having this really dysfunctional relationship with food and with your own body and your own health, did that play on your mind? Oh, not only did I feel like a fraud, people would criticize me at work events all the time because part of my role was working with the field and educating the field about our products. So here I am presenting to thousands and sometimes tens of thousands of people about health and different products to promote health. And I'm up there at 350 pounds. It, it not only made me feel like a fraud, I was being a hypocrite. And that was a huge source of stress. I was embarrassed every single day when I went to work, every single day when I met a vendor, every single day when I met a client. You can't even, or I can't even fathom how that must play on your confidence and your self-esteem, just that repetitive, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, and not just day after day at work, but you had been living that for years since you can remember, since you were a child, like trying to measure up to this this standard and always falling short. Yeah, you know, it was um, very familiar. So I think that mm-hmm. if I had felt so equipped and capable, if I had felt good enough in other areas of my life, it might have been more disconcerting or more of a problem. But it was all I knew. So while, yes, it was very uncomfortable and it was why I was desperate for change, it was also just reflective of every area of my life. I really want to get into some of these mental shifts that you had to make, which you know, transformed not just one area of your life, but every area. But before we get to that, I want to um, acknowledge a chapter that you have put in your book. It's pre-part one of the book. And you give, for a chapter, you give the reader advice about how to get the most out of the book. And personally, I haven't encountered that type of thing in a self-help book before. So I feel like generally authors will just launch into the content, whatever they're trying to, you know, help you with, be it, you know, growing your business or, you know, building your self-esteem or becoming more mindful or whatever it is. They just launch into what they're trying to trying to teach you. But you kind of stop the reader dead in their tracks and bring the attention to the idea that the learning can be rushed, but taking action can't be. And I was like, I felt like you slapped me <laughs> between the eyes. I'm sitting in my bed. I'm like, oh, she's speaking directly to me. She knows me. She and and for me, like the way I consume these types of books when I read them, um, is that I will I'll race through it and learn it all. And then pop it back on my shelf and, you know, nothing changes. And I think a lot of us are probably quite guilty of that. And you mentioned people feel like they get credit for racing through the book, learning all the information, even if they do absolutely nothing with it, as if just learning the information is enough, even without the action, which it clearly isn't because nothing changes. So I, I wanted to kind of ask you your rationale for including that section in the book, because it's... It's phenomenal and it has a huge impact. And I think I read the rest of the book with a very different mindset. This is such a huge passion of mine in the work that I do 
Because what I recognized in myself, unfortunately, was this pattern of voraciously consuming information and having a new strategy and a ton of ideas and and good intentions, but never putting them into practice or certainly not putting them into practice consistently. And what I've seen in other people as I've done this work prior to writing the book is something that I refer to as the gap. And this gap refers to the fact that we live in this world where information has never been more readily accessible. We can learn about nutrition. We can learn about mindset. We can learn about investing. We can learn about improving any area of our lives. And if we look at these as like two separate pieces, the first piece is where you are now, your habits and your patterns and your behaviors right now. And the second piece is what we know. And the expectations that we have for ourselves and our ambitions and our intentions. And a lot of people are moving that second piece of what they know and their ambition and their intention and their goals and their strategies. They're moving that piece really quickly because they're listening to podcasts and they're reading books. And what they know is always expanding, but they're not moving in tandem with how they behave and what they do and their patterns and their habits. And so we create this ever-widening gap between what we're doing, how we're living, and what we expect for ourselves or what we know is possible. And the dangerous thing when you're not aware of the gap and you're not consciously closing the gap through taking action, we can actually feel worse about ourselves and worse about our lives as we learn more and know more and understand more about our potential. So I did not want to contribute to that gap by having people read this book that raises the standards they have for themselves or increases the belief in how they could change, but then they don't do anything with it because I see too many people increasing their sense of frustration in themselves, decreasing their confidence in themselves, feeling more pressure and more shame and more guilt because of the rate of their learning without the corresponding increase or change in their actions and their patterns and their behaviors. So as a way of really helping people close the gap, I was like, listen, don't rush this. As you read something that you can put into practice, put it into practice. You don't get points for finishing another book this month. Like that's (laughs) not the way it works. In fact, you'll probably feel worse about yourself if that's how you do it. Mm, I just, yeah, I think I think it was an essential ingredient to the strength of the book because you kind of, you hit us with that straight up early on Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, yep, she knows. She knows that I just was going to race through this and, um, and then, and then at the end of each chapter, there's, there's questions to ask yourself. There's, you know, you know, the prompts for taking notes and putting things into practice and come back kind of once you've got that squared away. And I love it. And I think, Mm. um, I think there will be a lot of people that find success from the advice you offer in this book because of that, because you really encourage them to stop, get present and do the work, not just do the learning. So, so now let's get get down to the nitty gritty because I'm sure that's what, you know, everyone wants to hear about. I want to hear about your transformation and and like you didn't just improve one area of your life. You improved your entire life, your physical health, your career, your relationship, your finances. Did 
Do you do all of those things simultaneously or did you just pick one area to concentrate on first and then when that was that component was sorted then you moved on how did how did this happen so i would say that it definitely wasn't simultaneously but it also wasn't totally isolated mm-hmm. so what i mean by that is i started with my finances that wasn't my primary goal i was still extremely overweight and very unhappy about it and constantly obsessing about every morsel of food I put into my mouth, even when I was binging. But there was something about money that didn't have as much negativity and history and fear and lack of belief. So I just got this wild hair to get out of debt and I went full force towards that even though at the time my my former husband was not on board he got on board towards the end but initially he like kicked and screamed his way uh through that decision and it was in the process of getting out of debt that i realized <laughs> for the longest time i was like my body's just broken and i can't lose weight because of my hormones or i can't lose weight because i'm so sensitive to carbohydrates or whatever it is and I have to be so strict and it's just not maintainable and blah, 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 blah. But what I realized in getting out of debt was that it had nothing to do with food and it had everything to do with things like giving up and making excuses and being all or nothing. And there was something really powerful that getting out of debt showed me or helped me see in a new way because there wasn't a single month where the budget went exactly according to plan. Every single month, no matter what, heck, every single week, there was probably something like uh, a blown tire or a need to buy something that we hadn't planned to buy or a holiday or something like that. And never once did I say, well, screw it, I blew it, we'll try harder next month. I just adjusted and I got back to, okay, well, that happened, so let's keep on keeping on. And I didn't have that attitude as it related to my health. So that was sort of the first piece, the financial piece, Mm -hmm. that then helped me see that the real need in weight loss was not about nutrition and vegetables and fats and carbs and whatever. It was about my mindset. And my excuses and my exceptions and my I'll start tomorrow pattern of behavior. And then once I started to change my mindset around food and my mindset around my weight, that shift touched everything. Because as you become a better thinker, that applies to your work, that applies to your relationships. So then everything just kind of built on each other and it was continuous feedback and it still is. I love that. You mentioned in the book this idea about changing your thoughts and that 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 was almost the, the keystone or the centerpiece to your massive transformation. You talk about this, this cycle of thoughts, choices, habits, results and beliefs. Can you explain that a little bit for people that that haven't read the book or that are, you know, really engaged with what you're talking about and want to want to know where where you start in transformation? Can you talk us through that cycle? Absolutely. Where I think we can see the need for this is 
anybody who's tried a million different approaches, whether a million different approaches to tidying their home or a million different approaches to managing their finances or a million different approaches to losing weight, it's not the approach that's flawed. We just keep running into the same barriers that come from our mindset until we clear them. So in my own example, just looking at my weight, it really didn't matter if I was trying to do low carb or keto or intermittent fasting or calorie counting or macro counting or anything in between. And I would blame the failure on the approach when what was most true is that I kept running into thought pattern barriers. Thought pattern barriers like, oh, this one thing won't hurt, or I'll start tomorrow, or, well, I already had this one thing, so I might as well get it out of my system and start fresh tomorrow. The way we think drives our choices. So if I say, oh, well, I already had that bite of cookie at the at the office, so I'm off plan already. I might as well just get it out of my system, have pizza and ice cream so that tomorrow I'll wake up ready to stick to my prescribed way of eating. It didn't matter what that commitment was in terms of how I was going to eat differently. I would continue running into those flawed thought patterns and how we think influences what we choose. What we choose regularly becomes a habit, which creates our results. And then the flow of those things establishes our belief. So I believed fundamentally that I was inconsistent Mm -hmm. because I would constantly think in a way that would let me off the hook and give me an out, an exception, an excuse, a doubt, a delay. When we begin by thinking differently and becoming a better thinker, that's when everything shifts. And that's why the work I do with my clients is not related to weight. It's not related to food. It's related to upgrading your mindset because that then transforms everything in our lives. One thing that you said in the book, which I thought was a really unique approach to well, not just not just weight loss, but it could be applicable across the board, is what is the best choice I can make for me right now? What is the thing I can do in this moment right now? You talk about your ability to stay in that present moment and not let yourself dwell too much on the past or lose yourself in the future, but really focus on controlling that single moment that you're in. Do you have tips for us on how to keep mindful and how to keep really present in the now when you're when you're facing big challenges? I would say the biggest thing is knowing when you're not present and recognizing when you're not present. And I let my feelings be a flag for me here. And what I mean by that is if I feel overwhelmed, that feeling is a flag that I'm not right here right now. I'm in the next 20 things that have to be done, or I'm in the next three weeks of my life. Similarly, if I feel really frustrated with myself, that feeling is a flag that my mind, my attention is in the past, something that I already did. So if you begin to just check yourself, and the theme of my book is all about asking yourself questions. So question is like, where am I right now? Am I in the email I got earlier? Am I in that phone conversation I had three hours ago? Am I in that bag of cookies I ate last night 
Or am I in what I'm going to choose tomorrow night at dinner? Am I in how that meeting's going to go tomorrow? Just like, where am I right now? And then the other piece of it just goes back to how we're feeling. Recognizing that most negative emotions stem from not being here now. Overwhelm, frustration, disappointment, shame, worry, those all are just an indicator that you are someplace other than right here, right now. Mm, so much to think about. I love it. I, I absolutely love it. So when we talk about your story and your transformation, can you give us any examples of uh, a thought that you personally had to work on to change or, you know, what, what was a thought pattern of yours that was regularly standing in the way? I think most of the thoughts that stemmed from my past and who I had been, what I noticed about myself was that I was thinking in a way that basically came from the perspective that the way I had been was the way I would always be, that it was who I was, that I'm just inconsistent, I'm an emotional eater, I'm all or nothing. What I was doing was taking all of my past patterns and projecting them onto my present and my future as though they in some way were all I could ever be. And I had to embrace the fact that, hey, I'm free to show up differently right now, today. I am free to show up as a happier version of myself, as a more disciplined version of myself. Nobody says that because I was all or nothing for the last 30 years that I can't show up today and be moderate. It's a choice. And so no longer limiting my present and my potential with my past was probably the biggest thought pattern that I had to change. And did that show up in some really specific, you know, actions or practice practices that you, you know, were starting to exhibit? Is there um, something you can pinpoint about moving your body more or making more healthy choices? Once you kind of change your mindset to say, I can, I can choose how I want to be today. I'm not limited by my, my past self. Mm-hmm. Is, is there a pr- one practice or one behavior that, that really showed up once you'd made that shift? I think the biggest thing that showed up when I made that shift was being open to a new way of behaving. So instead of, oh, well, I had pizza, so I might as well get ice cream. It was the decision that, you know what, just because I've never just had pizza and been done for the night, I can show up differently today. There is no reason to continue to repeat patterns that don't reflect who and how I want to be. Just for today, I can have half a pint of ice cream and not finish the whole pint. Or I can go to the gym for five minutes instead of feeling like either I go for 35 or I don't go at all. So I just became more open to the idea that there was not just the old way or the best way. There was a whole spectrum of choices in between the old way and what I thought was the best way. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. And I think 
you know, we just don't give ourselves permission to to be moderate mm-hmm. as well. Like you said, changing that idea of all or nothing. Like I um, can think of an example in my life where if I want to, if I think I'm going to go for a run today, it's, you know, it's a half an hour, 40 minute run, or it's not, is no running, mm-hmm. you know, kind of that idea of either I'm full, I'm all in with both feet or I'm not in at all. There's mm-hmm. no kind of like, well, you know what, I'm going to just plan to run for five minutes. I'll just do a bit. Cause chances are once I'm out there for five minutes, once I give myself permission to only run for five minutes, then I might as I might end up staying out there for 10 or 20. But because the idea is it's got to be 30, then then sometimes that's enough to make me not go at all because that just seems too hard some days. Yeah, you know, I always say that binary, and I don't know, I think I might have got this from one of Tim Ferriss's books, but it's become one of my my mantras that binary is the opposite of creativity. And Mm. binary means like, you know, having two options. So there's the full run or there's no run. That's binary. It's this or it's that. It's black or it's white. It's yes or it's no. That's the opposite of creativity. And, And I would do this not just with food, but with spending. I was either on budget or I was off. There was no like, it's an improvement. So when I got really serious about thinking differently, we have a, a fast food restaurant in the States called Chick-fil-A. And I had been in the habit of going to the Chick-fil-A drive-thru on my way to work in the morning and getting two breakfast entrees. And instead of the, oh, well, I should have like eggs and vegetables at home, I started going to Chick-fil-A in the morning and getting one breakfast entree. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it to my older self, that would be failure. But because I decided to think about this differently, and it was just, I can pursue a degree of improvement in anything, that opened me up to what is in the realm of possibility in this space between all and nothing. Yes. And look, I think people listening, like we, you know, a lot of our podcasts, we talk about physical decluttering and, you know, sorting out your bookshelf and tidying up the kids' toys and stuff like that, trying to unclutter your life. And I think one of the biggest hurdles a lot of people face is i got to do it all or I just won't even start or look at, you know, the kids' toy room and go, it's either, you know, immaculate and minimalist or it might as well just stay as it Mm -hmm. is. And I think that giving yourself permission to just make an improvement, uh, no matter how small, no matter what percentage, if it's a 2% improvement, it's still an improvement that you can't let that binary way of thinking be a hurdle that stops you from even starting. Absolutely. I think that's incredible. So one thing uh, that I, I really want to touch on that I know that you talk about in the book and on your podcast is this idea there's a misconception about pursuing external goals to hit internal targets and that's really insightful and it explains a bit why people so rarely feel like they're achieving even when they reach their goals can you break that idea apart for us explain what external goals are versus internal targets and how those things you know don't necessarily correlate yeah, I think we're very drawn to external goals. Like, I want to save $10,000. I want to pay down $20,000 in debt, or I want to lose 20 pounds or get a new job. For me, 
I wanted to lose a lot of weight. That's the external goal. But when I ask people, how will you feel that's different from how you feel now when you've hit that goal? What will be different for you? What will be different about your life? What is it that you want to feel more of or you want to feel less of? Then we start to get at the internal target. And when I wanted to lose weight, the external goal was weight loss, but the internal target was that I wanted to feel confident and I wanted to feel proud. I wanted to feel good enough. So what I was able to do when I was clear on the internal target is pursue that because there's too many people who hit the external goal, but because they didn't know what the internal target was, they never feel that way and they feel really let down and like, gosh, this goal isn't what I thought it would be. It doesn't feel how I thought it would feel. I had lost weight before and didn't feel confident because I wasn't doing work to feel more confident. I was just doing work to weigh less. I thought that the external goal of weight loss would come with a side of confidence, would come Mm -hmm. with a side of internal peace, just like a lot of people think that, well, if I get out of debt, I will feel more at ease, more peaceful, less stressed. No, dude, you'll find something else to stress about, 100%. (laughs) Unless Mm -hmm. you do the work to become less stressed, to change the way you think, to facilitate less stress, or to change the way you think to facilitate more confidence, the external goal won't come with a side of that. So I got to explore what are some things that make me feel confident? What are some things that erode my confidence? The fact is they really didn't have anything to do with my weight. When I started to ask myself, what could I do today to feel more confident? What could I do today to eliminate the things that make me feel less confident? The weight started to take care of itself. And that is what I see with all of my clients. When you pursue that internal target separately, the external goal kind of resolves itself. And do you see that as possibly being the key to change lasting long-term? Because I guess here we are, it's the beginning of a new year, a new decade, you know, people have high hopes and big goals, but so often they fade away pretty quickly. And, and I wonder if, if that idea of, you know, pursuing the internal target might be one of the, the keys to having success long-term. Would you say that that's close or that's part of it? I think if you resolve your internal target, you're in good shape. But I think that why people drift and get distracted isn't so much about the internal goal versus external target thing, but rather not keeping what they're after in the forefront of their mind and then falling into the cadence of flying by the seat of your pants and just getting through the day Uh, So I think that there's a separate issue with why people drift and why people get disengaged that that can be kind of tackled separately. That's really interesting. So how how do you go these days? Do you still have to work hard if you want to 
change a habit or improve something in your life or does it come more naturally for you now now that you've been through this this huge transformation internal shift kind of examining your pat your thought patterns and your practices does it is it does it come easy for you now or is it still hard work it's definitely not easy but i wouldn't call it hard and i'll tell you why I believe that context really matters. And I used to say, oh my gosh, weight loss is so hard for me. Building a business is so hard for me. And now I say, losing my dad in a car accident was hard. Getting divorced was hard. Eating less in a given day, eating better in a given day, taking a minute to review my budget, those things aren't hard. They might take effort, but I think that context for me helps me not to talk myself into the drama that something is so hard. There are hard things in life, but eating better, cleaning up after yourself, staying organized, I like to tell myself those things aren't hard. So for me, change still takes effort and it takes intentionality, but I focus on one day and often one moment at a time, and then it's not overwhelming. A lot of people tell themselves it's hard when what they mean is it feels overwhelming. The reason it feels overwhelming is because they're focused on more than the moment they're in, which is the only time and place where we can affect change. That's right, isn't it? It's that whole idea that you're at the bottom of the mountain and you are looking up and you can see the thousands of steps you have to climb to get where you want to go rather than just focusing on the step in front of you. Right. And that, you know, and that's the thing. You take one step and one step and one step and eventually the balance shifts and you, you know, you can put your head up, look around and you've come further than you've got to go. But instead of not taking that first step because you're so overwhelmed by what's in front of you, you just have to get back to the present. Yep. Elizabeth, it has been fascinating talking to you and I am sure our listeners would love to find out more about you, find out what your podcast is, your book and where we can find you. Can you give us a rap sheet on where you are and and what you do and where we can get more Elizabeth Benton when we want some more of your goodness. Absolutely. I would say the easiest place to find me, connect with me, uh, hear more from me for free is my podcast. It is called Primal Potential. Primal Potential, and that is on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, everywhere you get podcasts. Um, My book, is called Chasing Cupcakes. It is available worldwide on Amazon. And it's really a book about creating change. So don't let the cupcakes deter you. (laughs) It's not about food. (laughs) And then primalpotential.com is my website where um, I have some coaching and some other kind of course things and and live events and things like that. Primalpotential.com. And can we find you on social media anywhere? Absolutely. I spend most of my time social media-wise on Instagram, at Elizabeth Benton. Uh, but I also have a free Facebook community on Facebook that is just Primal Potential. So you search Primal Potential, you'll find me on Facebook. Elizabeth, it has been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank you for all your nuggets of wisdom. I think you've given us so much to think about and uh, we might get you back again in the future and we'll go deeper with a few more for some other bits. We'll get, we'll go deep with finance or we'll we'll go deep with specifically weight loss or something, but, but it's been lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's a joy to chat with you and share a little bit with your listeners. Thanks for joining us. We'd love it if you'd leave a review or tell all your friends about us so that they too can be uncluttered. 
If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or on social media or on our own websites at clearspace.net.au and basklifecoaching.com.